0: You're listening to a sermon from Plus Life, a church that exists to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will be stirred in your heart and renewed in your mind as you hear the preaching of God's word today. Go ahead and tell someone the title of my sermon this morning, Reaching for Fruit. Reaching for Fruit. (coughs) This morning we're starting a vision casting series as we've done Uh, before in the past called a plentiful harvest a plentiful harvest and as a vision casting series is to recall to mind the vision of the church of you know we exist to see lives changed by the gospel but but also to 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 remind ourselves of mission of our church as well, in that we, uh, in addition to reaching lives with the gospel of Jesus Christ, or seeing lives changed, by the, lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, we do that through our mission, which is reach, revolve, and reflect. We reach people with the gospel, we cultivate lives and ministry around the gospel, and that revolve around the gospel, and, and reflect the love of Jesus Christ to those around us. Now, every, every time, series, there's often a theme, there are often a sort of a subject that we're trying to unpack with those, with this, uh, with the vision casting series, and this, this time around, the theme is harvest, it's reaping fruit, much fruit from, uh, from, from the ministry and whatnot, and so how do, and and so the, the the thought is, how do we reap the most fruit from our vision and mission, the, the vision and mission of our church? How do we reap the most fruit from what we do in ministry and 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 in this and in our in our church? And so, um, and by fruit, we of course mean new followers, growing spiritually, growing as a community in plus life. By fruit, we mean the propagation of the gospel, biblical literacy, the utilization of our spiritual gifts. Something that we've been talking about and very excited about the past few weeks and people serving and and being served overall accomplishing again this goal that we have to see lives changed by the gospel of Christ. So the purpose of our series full harvest is to propose practical ways to continue to cultivate this fruit and even more fruit as we go on in our, in our in our ministry here at Plus Life. So and the first of the three mission statements that we're going to be looking at in this series is, of course, reach. Reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And by reach, we really mean evangelism. Reaching people going out there and sharing the good news uh, news to the lost and unbelievers and what is the best way to produce fruit in that mission to go evangelize, to reach people with the gospel? Is it going door to door and knocking with, with tracts, distributing tracts? Is it standing with a bullhorn on the corner of, uh, of uh, main intersections and preaching the gospel that way? Is it organizing, you know, in, in large stadiums, evangelistic crusades? And I'm sure whenever we hear the word evangelism, those Some of those pictures come to mind. And no doubt the Holy Spirit has used those methods in the past and continue to use those methods even today to bring the gospel to people. And and again, I, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with those methods, but we want to look at what is the best method to bring the gospel to the lost, to reach people with the gospel. And I think oftentimes we automatically go to the drive-by evangelism methods, right, where it's like you get in there, you share the gospel, and then you get out. We, we don't stick around for, for any fruit or anything of that sort. It's just sometimes we think all I have to do is, you know, say ABCs about the, the gospel, and then that's it. I've done my job, and then we move on to the next uh, person or ministry. Well, um, you know, I, I think, again, like I said, those things have have worked in the past by the grace of the Holy Spirit. And I say that from experience, who have uh, from someone who has used those methods in the past. But again, are those the, the most effective, the most fruitful ways of reaching people with the gospel? And that's our mission for our sermon this morning. What is the most effective way of reaching people? people with the gospel, and um, as you know, we have been now, we're, we're part of the fellowship of Evangelical Baptists now, and um, what's great is that I've been able to sit down with fellow church planters and hear their strat- strategies and hear about their best practices of how they're winning um, people for Christ, and what I, I absolutely admire and appreciate about these church planters that I've been meeting is that these these guys... Are going into neighborhoods completely cold in the sense that they don't have uh, much of a core team. Maybe sometimes it's just them and their wife going into this neighborhood, and they're preaching the gospel. They're discipling people, and as a result of that discipleship and making or building relationships, they're planting and growing a church from from that initiative. And so uh, again, I, I've been able to glean from them their methods and practices, but ultimately what I've observed and what I see has been very fruitful in their ministry and even from what we see in scripture throughout the gospels is that the method in which the in which scripture calls us to use to get people to hear the gospel to reach people with the gospel is that of discipleship discipleship as we read from our passage the great commission is 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 from Jesus mouth himself is the vehicle in which the the gospel is to be proclaimed to the nations, the, the kingdom of God to be established in the world. And that that in that great commission, we see the command to make disciples. Vehicle in which we can see much fruit in reaching people for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And again, you know, I, I think oftentimes what happens is, When we think of evangelism or discipleship, we sort of compartmentalize the two. We think evangelism is, okay, me going out, sharing the gospel with a lost person, and then that's it. And then when we think about discipleship, oftentimes our thought process is, okay, that's me sitting with somebody over coffee, discussing the Bible, doing accountability, so forth and so forth, so forth. Growing with another believer. And we end up separating the two, evangelism and discipleship. In, in Scripture is that they are one and the same. And often in that separation, we even think, well, you know, I'm not an evangelist, so I'm not going to go share the gospel with the individual. Or I'm not really a teacher, I'm not really gifted that way, so, uh, you know, I'll let somebody else disciple so-and-so. But the reality is, the Great Commission is given to all disciples. The Great Commission is given to every believer in Christ, every blood-bought believer, go and do and, but oftentimes, as we'll note, the great commission often becomes the great omission in the church. We see that the great the great commission that we just read is is the example of what we are we ought to be doing as believers, making disciples, and and we and, and that's not just the only example of discipleship in uh, in scripture, but really Jesus' entire earthly ministry is an example of discipleship and what we ought to be doing as believers listen has it ever occurred to you that the disciples when Jesus first calls them were not saved the disciples when Jesus calls the 12 were not you know believers and we see examples of that throughout scripture where of their unbelief of them wavering in their faith Jesus calls, Jesus picks these, these disciples, despite them not being faithful, despite them not being tried and true followers of God. They were unsaved. Maybe they were curious about what Jesus was talking about, this potential Messiah. But a lot of times, it demonstrated, the, the, the gospels demonstrate their unbelief. Yet, as Jesus walked with them, did life with them, taught them, shown them his glory, we see these 12 minus one, Judas, right? These disciples eventually become believers, apostles, leaders of the early church. And even when Christ is, is, ascends and he's no longer with them, they continue to persevere in the faith. That's what we want to do. That's what we want to cultivate. That's what we want to integrate in our DNA, in, in, in our identity, in our culture as a church. That of discipleship. Discipleship. And we might be thinking, well, well, you know, that was Jesus, right? That was Jesus doing all that stuff. But no, again, the culture of discipleship is, is is meant to be part of everything, or is meant to be part of the DNA of the church. See, I think really the the we we really lost the notion of what discipleship means because maybe of our modern age, and and the closest thing that we Probably can relate discipleship, too, is, uh, is an apprenticeship if you're a tradesperson. But even that doesn't really encapsulate this, the idea of this, the relationship between a teacher and a disciple that we see in Scripture and what Jesus um, demonstrated back in his day. We talked about this a little bit in, in the Gospel of John series. Rabbis would take on disciples to pass on their teachings, their practices, their belief, their faith. And the goal of the rabbi was literally to, to, to make a carbon copy of themselves, of their faith, of their practices, by taking on a disciple. And so these disciples would follow the rabbi wherever he went. They, they would live with him. They would do life with him. Because the expectation was that that these disciples would not just copy the, the, the belief or the teachings of this rabbi, but also his mannerisms, the way he talked, his routines, because that was that those mannerisms and the way that he behaved is how you cultivate a a good spiritual life. That's the idea of of teacher and disciple that I think we've lost in our modern age. But the same principles apply when, when we are called to the great commission, when we're called to reach out to the lost, when we're called to make disciples. Jesus is our great rabbi. The apostles were his disciples. And then who who then made new disciples, who then those disciples then made new disciples, et cetera, et cetera, and over the generation. And finally, here we are today. Our faith today is a result of the faith of the disciples that came before us and passing down the teachings and practices of our faith. And in turn, we are to pass on to others the faith growing in us, the teachings that we've been receiving and the way we do that is through discipleship. <clears throat> and again, discipleship doesn't start when somebody is already a believer. It starts when they're not a believer and continues until they are fully functioning believers. And as we think discipling is for, people, for, for only pastors or evangelists or those gifted with that, again, the call, to, the call from the Great Commission is for all believers to make disciples discipleship and disciple making is part of what the apostle the apostles were meant to pass down to the next generation of believers the next set of disciples discipleship is what what we ought to be doing as a church so if we want to see fruit in our mission to reach people with the gospel the method to see that fruit happens in discipling people discipleship needs to be part of our identity as a church and you know, it's, it's how it's how the church naturally grows. There's, there's a lot of couples here popping out babies, and I'm very thankful for that, you know, praise God, but that's, that's not natural church growth, right? That's population growth, maybe, but in terms of believers, discipleship is how we naturally grow. <coughs> Again, excuse me. Discipleship in its entirety is from conversion to walking with somebody in sanctification and and, and, and seeing them grow in their spiritual walk, in their spiritual uh, life with God. Now, the question to ask is, what are some effective ways to disciple people, to reach people with the gospel, knowing now that that's the method in which we ought to be reaching people and the best way to get fruit from that mission of ours? What are some effective ways to disciple people, and that's the the purpose of our sermon this morning, is to unpack the Great Commission because, as we'll see in our sermon, there are actual practical things that Jesus gives us in the Great Commission. Oftentimes, we read the Great Great Commission, and we see it as some sort of lofty command and lofty vision from Christ to to go and and make disciples of all nations, but really, there's some grounded methods in these, these few verses that we have to look at and that we can't really overlook. So the hope is to unpack the Great Commission to, to see the practical ways to effectively reach people with the gospel. So first and foremost, how do we effectively reach people with the gospel? Disciple with authority. Disciple with authority. I think sometimes when, when we quote the Great Commission, we start at verse 19. Go, there, go therefore and make disciples. But really, the Great Commission starts in verse 18. This is a very important verse to the, the Great Commission. Jesus says, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Then verse 19 comes in, go therefore and make disciples. Now why is this important? Because <clears throat> because it provides for us the grounds by which we have the right and the responsibility to go and make disciples. If if you've ever heard unbelievers um, prohibit Christians or censor Christians or um Stop people or stop the church from reaching people with the gospel like like they do in parts of the world or like they did in, in, during the pandemic or like they do it around the the LGBTq community if you 've ever heard the 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 world and, and and the government try to 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 stop believers from reaching people with the gospel or preaching the gospel, the grounds by which we can claim the right to preach the gospel is not. On some charter of rights and freedom it's not by some permission of man's policy or government our authority to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to the lost to the fallen world comes from the highest authority himself the king of kings and the lord of lords king Jesus Christ that's our authority to go and proclaim the gospel That's what Jesus means when he's saying, all authority has been given to me. So now, as my disciples, go and make disciples. I'm giving you full authority to do so, so that not even the gates of hell can stop you from proclaiming the gospel, the good news to the lost. That's the authority of the church, of the believer, of the Christian, of the follower of Christ. We have the authority to go and make disciples straight from the king of kings himself. Now this truth and this, this this reality, this authority that we're talking about, ought to bolster us to the Great Commission, as it did the early church, as it did the apostles in their day. If you remember in the in, in the book of Acts, when when Peter and John were were, were, were trying to be were, were trying to be silenced by by the Pharisees, the Jews in in the temple, the Jews stopped them from preaching Jesus. Peter says, Acts chapter 4, verse 19, but Peter, Peter and John answer them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. See, Peter and the other disciples were functioning under this authority of the risen king, of this, under this authority that Jesus just gave them to go and make disciples. Something that no man-made government or posse could ever supersede or even take away. And that authority, that backing of authority that they had, bolstered them to obedience. Bolstered them to be faithful in sharing the good news, despite the persecution that they were experiencing. And that ought to be the same for us. And listen, this... This authority of Christ not only impacts our relationship with the world and governments and policies and whatnot, it should also impact how we view ourselves in light of commission. And what I mean by that is that if you've ever thought, you know, what right do I have to share? Perfect, I'm not a teacher, I'm not a pastor. If you've ever feared uh, being inadequate to share the gospel, the good news to someone, or if you've ever questioned your calling to do so, understand it is by the authority of King Jesus himself that calls you to the task. That calls you to proclaim his good news to the lost world. That proclaims you his ambassador. So, listen, don't question your responsibility to the Great Commission, whether or not you should go share the gospel, or what's the point of it, or whatever other thoughts we have. The king has called you to the task. And if you have heard the call, the expectation, the natural response is that you obey. That you follow. Regardless of whatever sentiments you have about yourself, the king himself has called you to the task. We've talked about this plenty of times in the past, but In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for obedience and hearing were one and the same because the expectation is that if you heard the call, you would obey the call. And that's what the Great Commission is. It is a call from God, a call from the King of Kings to go and make disciples. As a believer, the response, the only natural response is to go and make disciples. Commission become the great omission in your life. So now church, here's a challenge for us, right? Just visualize it a moment. Imagine a church where where went, went to go share the gospel, went to evangelize with the boldness and the confidence of knowing that it is Christ's authority that backs us, that gives us permission, that tells us, that commands us. Regardless of what government, the government says, regardless of what people's opinions are, regardless of the persecution around us, imagine for a moment the boldness that we could have if we went out in Christ's authority going and sharing the gospel, the good news. Imagine if we as a church marched towards unbelievers with the weight of the king's command on our shoulders. How much more intentionality, how much more persistence, how much more passion would we demonstrate just to see the lost come to faith? We, uh, how, how, how much more would we be able to say as ambassadors of Christ that God is making a, an appeal through us and passionately proclaim that regardless of, regardless of circumstance, regardless of who's listening to us, that we, we are imploring the world on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God we're called to disciple with uh, reach people with the gospel disciple in proximity disciple in proximity so now having given given his authority to his disciples Jesus says in verse 19 again the great commission passage here go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy Spirit. This is, a, this is a great Trinitarian passage by the way. If you didn't catch it. When Jesus himself says in the name singular of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Not multiple names. One singular name for the name of God. Great Trinitarian passage. Now we've looked at this passage before. And the reminder here is that the imperative, the command from Christ is not to Go. It's not to baptize, it's not to teach. The imperative is to make disciples. That's the focus. That's the goal of this Great Commission. And and the other aspects of that, to teach, to the baptize, they, they describe the process, aspects to that discipleship, what it includes. I think it's a, that's important to remember because as mentioned in the past, oftentimes we'll take we'll look at the Great Commission and we'll see it as a call to become a missionary. A missionary to Some sort of you know far off country. Because again it says go and make disciples of all nations. And therefore I need to go. I need to leave my my city, my home. Go to to some different country just to proclaim the gospel. But in the original Greek the word there for go is porathentes. Porathentes and it's better translated as, as having gone. Or as you are going. Make disciples. The intent, the intent here is to say, as you're going about your life, as you're going about your business, as you're going to school, as you're going to, the, as you're going to work, on the commute to work, make disciples. The idea is that reaching unbelievers with the gospel starts in proximity, those around you, those close to you. In whatever sphere of life that you are in, make disciples. And sure enough, we see this principle elsewhere in in Scripture. When Jesus is about to ascend and he's leaving the disciples, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, Samaria, and even to the end of the earth. Notice the progression there from Jerusalem that's the current city that they're in then Judea the province around them then Samaria the province over and then to the ends of the earth that's 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 nationwide that's global that's on a global scale. That's a progression that Jesus wants us to go and reach people. What that means for us is that when it comes to reaching unbelievers with the gospel it starts with those around us in proximity if you're a parent it means it's your kid. it means fa- if you don't have kids it means your family members, your brothers or sisters who might not know Christ and if it's not your family around you it is your friends. it is your co-workers, your classmate. and we see even examples of this in, in uh, the book of Acts as well in the early church when Cornelius the first Gentile believer, first Gentile convert comes to faith the books of the book of Acts chapter 10. He starts, it starts with him, and then it spreads to his servants and to his entire household. That's, that's the spread of the gospel. It's within proximity. Now, a good indicator of who you should be sharing the gospel to is who you see regularly. If you don't know who it is that you should be sharing the gospel to, maybe it's not your friend, maybe it's not your kid, or you're already doing that, who else could you be sharing the gospel to? Who else should you be reaching to? It's who you see regularly who you can continue a relationship with or a conversation with. And remember, the goal is not to, to, to have sort of a drive-by evangelism uh, event or occasion. The goal is to make disciples, to walk with them in their life. I've suggested this in the past. If there's nobody in your vicinity, start frequenting a place. Start going to the coffee shop on a regular on a regular schedule, on a regular basis. Maybe it's the library with your kids. One of the pastors, the church planters I've been talking with at Feb mentioned how he and his daughter, every, I think it's every Tuesday or something, every morning they go to a Tim Hortons near their place and just sit down and read their Bibles in Tim Hortons every week. And in that frequency, they're able to have conversations with other people who are regularly there. Who, with other people who who come by the coffee shop and get coffee, and they've seen fruit that way, the idea is building relationships, of reaching out to to or even reaching out to the current relationships that you have in order to make an opportunity to share the gospel. You don't need to go to some foreign land to share the good news. It's always curious to me, by the way, when a Christian says, "I'm called to missions." but then they never share the gospel to the people around them. It starts with those around you. Remember, part of the concept of discipleship is the rabbi would do life with the disciple and and share every aspect of their faith and practice that way. Similarly, share the gospel with unbelievers. We're called to share the gospel with unbelievers who we are already doing life with. And again, that means your coworkers, your friends, your kids, unbelievers who are already part of your life, with, with unbelievers who who are already in your circles, who are already in proximity to you. That's, that's the call. So think of, think a moment, right? Who is it in your proximity that you can go and, and disciple today? Even start today. Is it your kid? Is it your your your, your family member? If you've already covered those bases, is who, who in your friend's circles, who's an unbeliever that you can, like you can already start sharing the gospel to, co-worker, classmate? If, if someone's coming to your mind, I think that's a good indication that the Holy Spirit is putting that individual on your heart to share the gospel to. And if no one's coming to your mind, again, frequent a place. Start going, get out of the house, man, Right? Start frequenting a place and, and building relationships. Lastly, what's another, what are some effective ways to go and, and share the gospel or disciple? Last one here, disciple systematically. Disciple systematically. It says in our passage, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them, to observe all that I have commanded you. There is a teaching component to discipleship as, as as the premise entails, right? Again, a teacher or a rabbi teaches a disciple doctrines of the faith, wisdom, and scripture. But notice it's not just knowledge that it's being talked about here. Notice the call is to teach them to observe, meaning practice, whatever you've been taught. So there's a practical application in the In the teaching part, so you're not just in the way of living. It's not just, it's not just your, your uh, a mental component, but there's a practical component too that we ought to be uh, dispensing when we disciple people. So now the question is, what should be taught? What, what, what should we be teaching? and where 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 do we start when it comes to teaching? I think this is where oftentimes we get hung up when we think about discipleship and our inability to to disciple others. We think, well, I, I don't know what to say, or, or what if I get something wrong, or I can't communicate the doctrines of grace well enough, or you know, I'm not a teacher and we have all these reasons. What do I teach someone who is being discipled? Well, if we're looking at um, discipleship holistically, again, starting from the, the status of, uh, of an unbeliever, then the obvious start is, of course, the gospel, explaining God's holiness, man's depravity, God's salvific plan, Jesus Christ in in all of that, his provision of Christ in, in our salvation. That's the gospel. That's where it ought to start. The gospel is where anyone's faith starts. And for every believer in this room, that should not be hard to communicate because that's what we believe. That's how you yourself became a believer. We hear the gospel every week. And so... Then after that, after the gospel, what, what do we teach the, the unbeliever or, or the, the, the person who has put their faith in Christ now? The new believer, rather, the convert. And, you know, well, what do we teach them? Well, this is where we must disciple systematically. When Jesus says, teach them all that I have commanded you. You think, where do you think he means and where do you think he means to start when, when he's saying that all the teachings that he's given to the disciples? Do you think it's, uh, you know, start teaching them the eschatology in Matthew chapter 24 that, that he talks about to, the, to, the, to his disciples on day one of discipleship class, right? Or maybe let's talk about the, the, the depths of the doctrines of grace on day two of our discipleship class. No. Paul says in his rebuke to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 1 to 2 he says but i brothers could not address you as spiritual people but as people of the flesh and as infants in christ i fed you with milk not solid food for you were not ready for it and even now you are not yet ready the writers of Hebrews says a similar thing hebrews chapter 5 verse 12 to 13 for though by this time you ought to be teachers You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. The metaphor of milk for infants and solid food for mature believers is used to describe what is being taught to these disciples, to whether new believers or old believers. And the progression of, of maturity in the faith. So the expectation is that when it comes to new believers, the expectation isn't to teach them the the, the harder truths of faith, of the church, or even the the, the tougher practices of the church. You start with milk. You start with the easier truths. And we really see an example of that in Jesus' own ministry. Again, Jesus' earthly ministry is him discipling the 12 to become the, the, the founders of the church. And and in the Great Commission, and rather in the Gospel of Matthew, where we find the Great Commission, where we see the command to go teach disciples everything that Jesus taught them. In the Gospel of Matthew, we find most of Jesus' parables, most of Jesus' sermons. Five major sermons are highlighted in the Gospel of Matthew. And now, notice the progression. If you if you track the the sermons that Jesus preaches in the Gospel of Matthew, you can you can see a, a progression. Through those sermons. First sermon is in, 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 in Matthew chapter 5. The sermon on the mount. And notice the content of that. It's all the blessings of God. right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. All the good stuff that we want to hear. Blessed are the meek. Then you go to Matthew chapter 24. The last sermon that, pre- that Jesus preaches to his disciples. And it's all about the end times. And there will be rumors of wars. And this apocalyptic discourse that happens there. All of that to say, when Jesus was discipling his own disciples, we see a progression from these easier truths, from the blessings of God, the hope of God, all the way to these harder, even maybe you would label scary truths in eschatology and time prophecy. Jesus starts with the blessings of God and that progresses to, towards these harder teachings. And that should be our, our approach as well when it comes to discipling. We must approach it systematically, meaning with a system in place that teaches easier truths first and then builds on top of that. Progresses towards harder truths. No need to, to jump to the harder truths right away, especially dealing with baby Christians who might not know, uh, who might not know or can't can't comprehend these, these deeper truths yet. But if you're and, and if you're still thinking, well, I don't know what to teach. Right? When I, I get it. We're supposed to start with the basic truths. I don't know what to teach. Well, you know, aside from the gospel, teach what you know. Teach what you know. Teach what God has been growing in you, the lessons that you've been learning from God, the ways that God has been shaping your heart in your own walk with God. Teach that. Pass on that. The pitfalls to avoid, the the, the personal struggles, the personal successes in the faith, the best practices that have worked for you, pass on that. Teach that. Again, the goal for discipleship is to make a carbon copy of our our faith, of the faith, of a disciple of Christ. So copy your faith, at least the best parts of it, and pass that on, what Christ has grown in you. If you're thinking, well, listen, Pastor Ian, this is great and all, but how can I disciple someone when I need to be discipled myself? That's a big issue, right? Right? I need to be discipled. I need to be. I, I need to grow. How can I disciple someone else when I need to disciple? I need to be discipled myself. Well, the reality is, discipleship is a lifelong journey. There's never a point in this life where you're going to stop being a disciple. That's the truth of it. And, and if you ever stop being a disciple in this life, well, you know, man, you must have, you know, been glorified already, right? Christ must Christ must have already came because. You're perfect. The reality is we won't be perfect in this life. You know, what's, we are constantly learning and constantly being discipled in this walk with God in this world. What's great about, it, again, this partnership with, with the fellowship and um, for me personally is that I, I have older pastors, older believers now, older church planters to, to glean from, to learn from. Because it's always, it's a need to be in that mindset of discipleship all throughout the life, right? See, the reality is you cannot wait until you feel that you have been fully discipled, fully equipped, equipped with all the knowledge of Scripture to start, and then you can start making disciples. That's not going to happen. It's not going to happen in this life. What I would recommend, rather is at the same time that you are being discipled, you disciple someone else. You disciple someone else. I think another great system for discipleship is the Paul method of discipleship. Because in that method, you see three levels of discipleship. You see there's the relationship that Paul had with Barnabas. Yeah, the relationship that Paul had with Silas and the relationship that Paul had with Timothy. Paul and Barnabas, when Paul was a new believer and he was still learning the faith, he had Barnabas, an older believer, to teach him. That's oftentimes what we, what we desire. We want someone to disciple me. And that's, that's important. That's important to have regardless of your maturity, regardless of your age. You ought to have someone over you discipling you, mentoring you in the walk with God. In addition to that, we see Paul's relationship with Silas, uh, someone who was in the same same season of life as he was, in the same uh, calling as he was. This is peer-to-peer discipleship. Someone to go on missions with. Same season and stage of life that he was. And that's important to have as well. And oftentimes we see that in our church during life groups. you are in a life group because... You are walking or doing life together with believers who are in the same season as you. That's important. Now, in addition to all of that, we also see see Paul's relationship with Timothy. Timothy, who was an unbeliever, who eventually became a believer, and then who, who Paul took under his wing on the mission trips, and who he discipled to become a leader in Christ as well. So we see those three relationships. Relation Paul with Barnabas, Paul with Silas, Paul with Timothy. This, is, this, I believe, is the most effective and fruitful way of seeing new disciples in our church. Reaching people with the gospel. This is, I believe, the most effective way that we can see even growth in our own life. When we are being discipled, when we are walking in discipleship with others, and we are discipling others. That's how we reap a plentiful harvest in our church with the gospel. So here's here's the tra- challenge to take away from all of this, right? Listen, if you don't have a bar in your life, a mentor, a mature believer discipling you, find one. Very simple, find one. There are many mature believers in this room. You have three elders in this in this room, you have five deacons somewhere. You need to reach out. Ask them to to, to disciple you, to walk with you in in your spiritual walk, to teach you what they know. And And so that's a Barnabas. If you don't have a Silas in your life, meaning someone who's walking with you in the same season of life, whether you're a young professional, whether you're, you're a, a new mom, whether you're, you're a new dad, whatever it is, new, new married couple, whatever it is, find a, a Silas in your life. Walk with them. Serve together with them. Do accountability with them. Go through life together. Again, we find that a lot in life groups. We do that a lot in life groups. And so if you're not plugged in, you should be plugged in. And finally... If you don't have a Timothy in your life, whether they are an unbeliever or a new believer, listen, get off your butt and find a Timothy. Make disciples. That's the call. Make disciples. Start with milk. Teach them the basic doctrines of the faith. Start with the gospel and then progress with them through the solid teachings of the solid foods. Listen, imagine the growth that we can experience as a church if everyone in this room was discipling just one other person. Imagine the growth that we can see, the natural growth that we can see in our church if everybody in this room, on a good day we have like 50 people, well, I guess counting the kids, sure, they're part of the church too, you know. Imagine the growth that we could see if every single one of those people would be discipling, making disciples of their own. We would see an exponential growth in our community, not just in numbers, but spiritual growth. Again, discipleship is also part of of us cultivating our own walk. What I've found was great with the the guys I've been uh, discipling is that oftentimes when they ask me questions, it reinforces my own beliefs on those questions. It reinforces my own convictions on those questions. So it's edifying in both ways. Even if you're if you're if you're discipling a Timothy in, in our example here, go and make disciples. So you disciple with authority, go and know um, that it is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who has your back, who is giving you the authority to proclaim the gospel in the Broken and fallen world. Disciple in proximity. Start with those who are around you, and disciple systematically, meaning start with the easy stuff, move progress towards the hard stuff. Jesus ends the Great Commission with a great commitment. Us, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's powerful. The statement not only, is not just a statement of Christ's presence. We have to understand it's also this, there's a foreboding element to it. It's a recognition that as we go and make disciples in this world, in this life, that there will be difficulty. There will be times that we are rejected, times that we are persecuted, times of grief, times of failure. But as we strive to go and make disciples, the assurance for us believers is that wherever we go, Christ will be with us. Christ's authority will be with us. Christ's assurance will be with us that, that disciples will come about. The disciples that we will, by, by the sovereignty of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit, will be able to make disciples despite the hardness of hearts out there. Christ will be with us even to the end of the age. Just as we close here, for the lost, for those who have yet to have a relationship with Christ, listen, that's what really what we're talking about when we're talking about disciples. You would be reconciled to a holy God. God is holy, we are sinners. But God also being loving made a way so that we can have a reconciled relationship with him. And that way is through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came, died on the cross for our sins, he rose from the grave as an assurance that we too can rise from the grave. As assurance that everything that he claimed, the power that he demonstrated was legitimate, legitimately from God. And all we have to do to receive that relationship, that reconciled relationship, and God is simply to believe in what Christ has done. That's, that's the gospel. That's the reality of, of the good news of Jesus Christ that we're talking about here. So if you've yet to put your faith in Christ, we, we, we implore you by the mercies of God that you would turn to him today you would put your faith in Jesus Christ today. Now to the found, to the church, you know, with with everything going on in the world right now, the chaos that is brewing, the atrocities that are happening in the world, has never been greater. Where, where, so again, this series that we're, going, we're embarking on starting today is called A Plentiful Harvest. And where this really came from is me reading from Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, it says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. Currently, live in. There are so many people looking for hope, so many people turning to places. That, that, that are demonic and are evil, trying to find identity, trying to find purpose. And the church cannot remain silent in all of those things. The church cannot turn a blind eye to those things. Again, the Great Commission cannot be the great omission when that's happening in the world. We must answer the call to the harvest. While the Master has yet to return, let us be faithful with his commission. The Master has yet to return. Idle hands, when there is work to be done. Church, go and make disciples. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father. Lord, for we ask for forgiveness for the times where we have been complacent to your call, to your commission to go and make disciples. We ask for forgiveness for the times, Lord God, where we have grieve the Holy Spirit quench the Holy Spirit when you have placed it on our hearts to go and share the good news to our friend a relative a co-worker when instead of being your ambassadors in this world we are we are reluctant we are complacent we, we leave it to somebody else I pray that you would burden our hearts, oh God. I pray that you would burden our hearts for the lost. That God, you would impress on our hearts, your heart for the lost. That just as the Savior saw the people who are helpless, who are distressed, who are in need of a savior, in need of a shepherd, that God, you would give us compassion as well. You would burn in our hearts to go and make disciples, to share the good news with those around us. Help us be faithful to the task of God. Regardless of what season we are in life, give us the boldness to share the good news to those around us. Lord, we thank you once again for the gospel that has saved us. We thank you, oh God, out of your mercies, out of your grace, you chose us before the foundations of this world. You have lavished your love on us. And I pray that God, that it would, it would overflow into the lives of those around us. That that would be the motivation to go and, and share your good news to the lost. Help us of God as a church, as Plus Life, to accomplish this mission, O oh Lord, to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ to see lives changed by the good news of Jesus Christ. I pray that you would help us, empower us, O God, as a church. Do not let us be idle. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you were blessed by the sermon today. If you would like to learn about the gospel or know more about our church, please visit pluslifepeople.com. Remember to subscribe for more content. Until next time, stay blessed.